so we're going to be in Titus. I've named this sermon series Planting Healthy Churches. And I think you're going to see why. Uh, one of the main reasons why is because the Apostle Paul, as you're going to see, wrote this letter to his gospel partner named Titus. Now, Titus was a Greek man, and he was left behind on the island of Crete. And, and here's what's interesting about the island of Crete. First off, imagine if you took like the worst of Las Vegas and put it on an island. That's Crete. Yeah, it's like that, right? And so here, here's the deal. You got sunshine, you got sand, you've got lots of debauchery. And when Paul and, and when Titus were there preaching and teaching the gospel, people came to faith. But just because they came to faith does not mean they know what it means to be God's people. And so they needed to continue to disciple them and continue to teach them. This is a little book. It really is. Or a letter, maybe, is a better way to say it. It's very small. There's only 46 verses in the whole letter, three chapters. You could read it daily if you want to. And actually, I'd even encourage you to do that. But just because this thing's a little letter does not mean it's small on content. It's big theology. It's full, I mean, chock full of good news and, and general application for the church. And I think you're going to find it very applicable and, and, and easy to say, oh, yeah, that makes sense for the world and times we live in now. And so I hope that you'll continue to come. Uh, but it's, it's hard to pinpoint when this letter, or let's say when this church was planted. What we do know, though, is that both these men, as they went preaching and teaching, there were people responding to the gospel in faith. And Paul, he said, I got to keep on moving. I got to go preach the gospel where it's not been preached. Titus, you stay behind and make sure that these folks are, are gathering and they're doing all the things that, that Christ has commanded us to do. But just imagine how hard it was for people who, Cretans had tons of gods. The island of Crete, as a matter of fact, they believed that all the gods came from Crete. Zeus came from Crete. They believed all of them were birthed there and that's where they came to be. But here's the thing about their gods. They knew all their gods were liars. And that's why when you're going to see in, in, in this beginning statement, when he says, our God, the God who does not lie, is very important. Because they valued, in a sense, deceit. They valued lying. Because Zeus would lie just to seduce women on the island. Well, now do you think that's a strange thing? Paul wants to make sure that's not the God we worship. Our God is a trustworthy God. Our God, what he says, is true. And Titus, they don't just get that. Just because they're saved, they don't understand all the complexities of what we're talking about. This is going to take lots of work. So roll up your sleeves, buddy. Get to work. You've got to finish doing what we've begun. Or let's say, better yet, what God has begun through us. So that's, the, that's a general introduction of Titus. Okay, so you guys ready to jump in? All right, so the major emphasis, by the way, of the book of Titus is that the same gospel that saves us will transform us. It will transform every area of our life. The gospel is at work in all who believe. He, he wants Titus to make sure that the message that's being taught is, is actually being caught. It's, it's not just being received by faith, but this faith actually works. Right? He wants to see a people transformed because when the gospel is rightly understood, it will transform. Why? Because when you believe in Jesus Christ for your Lord and Savior, you get the gift of the Holy Spirit. God dwells with you. And guess what his aim is in your life? To make you more like him and less like the old you. So right teaching leads to right living. That, that's really the thrust of this whole book. 
And so if you get that and keep that as your North Star, I think you'll see it. So let's look at the first four verses today in chapter 1. It's really just the introduction, but it's, it's got a lot in it. So let's go. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake, or you could say the purpose of his ministry, is for the faith or the furthering of the faith of God's elect, his people, and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope. And by the way, hope in the Bible is not like, man, I hope it doesn't get cold tomorrow. It's not like, man, I hope it doesn't snow tomorrow. Hope is, in the Bible, it's a sure certainty. So, so you've got to understand that because he's saying that this truth, which accords with godliness, is it's the hope of what? Eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus my true child in a common faith grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior that's the first four verses that's where we're going to work today Paul's mission as an apostle right he says he's essentially saying I'm a slave to God and what a good master it is to have God as your master, right? He, he doesn't abuse you like every other master in the world. This, this God, he delights in you and he wants you to delight in him and he only wants your ultimate best, right? He's a good master. He's a good father. You want to obey this God when you know him, when you understand that he's for you. He says, but I'm, also, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle, he means I'm, I'm sent, I've been commissioned by Jesus to bring good news to people. He sees his whole purpose as, as really bringing salvation to lost people and seeing them grow in godliness. That's his aim, and that's the aim of every church, hopefully, right? Of every New Testament church is to see people worship Jesus who currently do not worship Christ right now, and through their love, through understanding the love that God has for them, being transformed to be more like Christ. And then you're now a light in a community that's very dark. And that's what he's aiming for here. So how does that happen? So these are your three points that we're going to work from. The first one is churches are planted through the preaching of the gospel. That's the first point. You see it as you open up your brochure. Churches are planted through the preaching of the gospel. Listen, the need, the need for biblical gospel preaching has never been more urgent. But it's always been that way. It's absolutely always been that way. Why? Well, look at verse 1. Because of the sake of the faith of God's elect. See, preaching is not primarily about education, although education happens in preaching, or it ought to, right? What it's about primarily is an, an encounter with the living God. Right? So, so as, a, as a man preaches the word of God, the word of God is living and active. Right? So as that word goes out, you're engaging with God. All other gods that really don't exist, you, you just got to kind of find them, figure them out. But our God, he comes to us. He wants to communicate to you. I, I, I remember being a lost man for the first 23 years of my life, just wondering, man, I wonder what God thinks about this. I wonder what God thinks about that. Eventually, I didn't care what he thought. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. But I remember having these thoughts. But can I just tell you, as Christians... We don't know all that God is, but we can know what he thinks. We know it through his word. 
He's been very clear. Christianity is about revelation. Christ comes, he puts on flesh, and he reveals who God is to us in the way that he lives, but also the words he communicates. Jesus said, I have come to preach. That's what I must do. Towns are like, no, stick around, keep on healing, like keep on feeding us these loaves and these fish. He says, listen, I've got to go to other towns. They need good news too. Jesus was a preacher, and he taught his apostles to be preachers. He taught his disciples to preach. Now, when I say preach, in this context, I don't even really mean like this right here, right now. He's saying to be messengers of the gospel, right? That's exactly what he's saying here. So Paul preaches the gospel to everyone, confident that those whom God has chosen, see where it says that God's elect, will respond in faith. That's his confidence. His confidence is not in his ability. His confidence is not that he's a great preacher. In in many places within the Bible, he would actually say, I came stumbling, I came fumbling, I was struggling to communicate this message, but God's power showed up in a mighty way. Why? Because when God's people hear his word, they respond. The Apostle Paul, I think we always picture him as this, this amazing apostle, and, and in many ways, he absolutely was, but he was not a perfect man. There were times he struggled. It's hard to imagine Paul being so bold, imagine him struggling. But I want you to know, in Acts 18, Paul was scared. He was facing severe persecution. He was growing very discouraged as he was trying to see a people in Corinth come to faith in Christ. And so, Let's look at this uh, in Acts 18, 9 through 10. You can listen as I read. Because there he is, he's in prison, and the Lord shows up to Paul one night in a vision. Listen to what he says. Jesus says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent. Why would he want to be silent? Well, not because people might say, hey, you're not that cool, which is a lot of the reasons why we're silent. It's because every time Paul opened up his mouth to share the gospel, generally he got beat and thrown in prison. So if every time you went to tell people about Jesus and they started just pounding on you and throwing you in the county jail, you'd be like tempted to just be like, I'm just going to like just me and Jesus keep it on the down low. And, you know, well, Lord, you're just going to have to sort this out. I'm done. I'm tapped out right? But, but Jesus says, don't be silent. Why? And he gives them this great promise. I'm with you, right? It's just like when Jesus left and he gave them the great commission. I will be with you to the ends of the age. I'm with you. And then he gives this promise that's just for this moment. No one will attack you or harm you. Whew, Paul's got to be thinking that's good. But then listen to the encouragement. Why keep on speaking? Jesus says, because I have many in this city who are my people. That's why. Jesus was letting Paul know that some people were Jesus' people, even though they had not realized it yet, right? To this, Paul does not reply, by the way, well, since you already have the people here, Lord, I'm just going to go on to the next town. He understands that preaching the gospel message is what brings about the people of God. We are a people of the message. At some point in your life, you heard, if you're a Christian, you heard a gospel message, the good news that Jesus has died for sinners, that he lived the perfect life that you could never live, that he died to death, you and I deserve to die because we are sinners, and that we trust in that message, we trust in that Savior, because why? 
Because he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he triumphantly resurrected from the grave, defeating Satan, sin, and death. Now he mediates a relationship between God the Father and a sinful people. He forgives all your sins, but he also gives you a righteousness, a right standing. You're as perfect as Christ the moment you believe. Now you have life with him right now and for all of eternity. And if you're trusting in Christ, that's the message you're trusting in. We're a people born of a message. And Paul knew this. And we need to know this. So he continues to preach the gospel with confidence. Why? Because Jesus has determined to have a people for himself. And that's how it happens. The early, the early church, by the way, grew the same way. It grew extensively because they were led by the Holy Spirit to plant churches. And that planting happened through the preaching of the gospel. This is why we're serious about preaching. God has many people in the city of Greensburg that are his. Do you think like that? Or do you just think, man, this, this place is just so lost. It's just so lost. Can I just tell you? It is. It is. But the people of Crete, I mean, they make Greensburg look junior varsity. I mean, they really do. And yet the, the message is powerful enough to bring people who are spiritually dead to life. And so they didn't shrink back from declaring truth. As a matter of fact, the confidence was, I'm going to keep on preaching because I know God's at work through his word. And so Paul did. Paul did. I want to read Romans 10, 13 through 17 for you. Because here's the thing. I think a lot of times what happens is we, we look at our neighbors, especially if you've grown up in the church. And, and maybe the only show you ever watched was Veggie Tales. You could just look at the world around you and you could just be like, oh, they'll never believe. They'll never believe. I was one of those guys, by the way, not the Veggie Tale guy. I was the guy that you wouldn't share the gospel with. Why? Because I remember receiving Christ as my Savior, showing up at a church, and I met a girl who just always did everything wonderful in high school. And she goes, What are you doing here as a 25 year old man? I said, I'm here to worship Jesus. What are you doing here? <laughs> right? Like, isn't that why we're here? She's like, you are saved? She was surprised. And I said, I am. I said, are you saved? She goes, I am. And she was like, well, I can see you didn't lose your sarcastic attitude. Well, I was new to faith. But she didn't want to share the gospel. So here's the thing. When I came to faith, I remember thinking, I had Christian friends. They never told me this. Why? And I was brave enough to say, let's get lunch. And when we got lunch, I sat down with them and I said, why did you never tell me the gospel? And they said, we just never thought you'd believe. And I'm like, ugh. So then I just vowed in that moment, I'll never be that guy. I'm going to tell everybody and let the Lord sort them out. And so now, I get it why they didn't do that. But can I just tell you, don't ever look at your neighbors and think they're not the people that might receive the gospel. The most lost, destitute people are the people the Lord just delights to save because that's all there is. That's all there is. Even if you are watching Veggie Tales as a young guy or gal, you're just as lost. You just had a home where mommy and daddy loved you, taught you, and the Lord had mercy to save you at a young age. But we're all in the domain of darkness until the Lord calls us out, even if you don't remember it, right? So you might be thinking, well, you don't know my neighbors. They want nothing to do with God. No one ever does, but God wants something to do with them. And so we go, and so we preach, and so we share our lives. Well, how does that happen? Like, right, which ones are God's elect, right? That'd be cool to know. Which ones? The only way you can tell is by preaching. 
Listen to what Romans 10, 13 through 17 says. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you're sitting here and you're like, I'm not a Christian, well, call on the Lord. Ask him to forgive you. He delights to save sinners. I'm living proof, and if you're in Christ, so are you. Call upon him. But but then Paul goes on to say, how will they call upon him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him who they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone's sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Listen, so faith, faith, trust in Christ comes from hearing, hearing the word through Christ. We preach, we share the gospel. We're a people who share the gospel. Because why? Because faith is what brings spiritually dead people alive in Christ. It is the proclamation of the gospel and responding in repentance of faith. So we're a people that are very serious about preaching. For the city commits to preaching the word, but we also commit to actually encouraging and equipping our church body to be a people of the mission and the message in the city. We commit to that. Why? Because you're going to interact with people I will never interact with. And they need the gospel message, and you're the one that's closest to that person in proximity. Right? And you're like, oh, that's terrifying. Hang in there, because I'm telling you, the more you understand, the more you receive the gospel, the more it just naturally flows. It just does. As we had nine people who moved here to Greensburg specifically to plant this church. We went through a, a course called Gospel Fluency. And why that's important is because at the beginning of this journey, it's about a year and a half in now, or maybe just a little less than that, there were people who were never in a million years shared their faith, shared the gospel with the people that they would interact with. Now I think what, they, what you see in those folks, God has worked in them, worked through them, to now they're actually sharing the gospel. They're finding it's not as difficult as they think. Right? This, we need to be a people who adorn the gospel with our lips and with our lives. That's what the book of Titus is about. That's why we preach. Right? Um, There's very little biblical preaching of the gospel in many churches across America. Preaching has fallen on hard times as of late. I'm just going to give a little soapbox to this and we're going to move on to point two. Right? Don't get me wrong. There's no lack of sharing or speaking. uh, Almost like in a TED Talk. And I'm not even against TED Talks. I like them. I mean, there's some fantastic TED Talks out there. But we, so much of American evangelical church just wants to throw away preaching and just do, let's just have a little coffee time. Now, God can work through coffee time, but he calls people to preach. He calls people to share the gospel, right? Like, I've even seen people shout. But in shouting, you can shout a lot of things and still not be preaching. Oh, I've heard a lot of people shout lately. You can have dramatic presentations with video clips, and you'll see this across the pulpits in America. I'm not saying none of those things are effective, but the church is birthed and built through the preaching of the Word. It is. And so we don't abandon it, right? Because essentially what happens is a lot of times it just ends up being self-help. Right? It's your best life now. Right? It's, it's some kind of 12 new steps to realize it didn't work six months later. That's really what it ends up becoming. And so you get very 
man, discouraged in those moments. But, but here's the deal. In preaching, what you're doing is you're bringing the Word of God to a people and you're allowing them to interact with the Word of God. The Word of God's authoritative, not the actual preacher. I'm not saying the preacher doesn't have authority, but, but listen, it's the Word of God that transforms people. As you digest this Word, it goes in and it's actively working in you to make you more like Christ. And so that's why we preach. And we want to preach God's Word. And the reason we want to preach God's Word is because when you go to a restaurant, to go back to the earlier point we were talking about going to a restaurant, if the waiter brings you a great meal, you do not like praise the waiter. You're like, I want to meet the cook. But too many preachers think that they're the cook, right? They spend all week in their office praying and cooking up a good sermon for you. It's got some like quotable things. It's really funny. Ha ha, let's put a picture up and let's quote my preacher. But can I just tell you something? It's not preaching. If you walk out of a service and you know more about the preacher than you know about Jesus, that's a problem. Instead, the preacher is actually the waiter, right? God, he's already made the meal. Our job is to deliver it to you hot and ready so that you can respond to the Word of God, so that your affections for Him increase, your love for Him increase. This happens as you know God. You primarily know God through the Word. That's what a preacher ought to do. And so that's why we preach. The only message that you and I have is the Bible, and the whole Bible is about Christ and what He's done to save sinners. So we preach the Word. This matters it's a matter of life and death. It really is, right? Um, the very idea of a Christless or crossless sermon should be appalling to all Christians, but I've sat in enough services to hear them, right? Charles Spurgeon, he's an old dead guy, but he was pretty awesome, and uh, I want you to listen to what he said when, on this topic, by the way. He colorfully articulates what, what I would love to just be able to say. He just says it really well, so let's quote him. The motto of all true servants of God must be, we preach Christ and Him crucified. A sermon without Christ in it is like a, load, a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. And that's how, the, that's how God's people ought to interact with people who do not preach the Word of God. Don't sit under their teaching. They might teach you how to be a very moral and upright citizen, but if they do not teach you that you have no hope apart from Christ dying to save your, really, your sinful self, then don't listen to their words. You can get better self-help in the world, generally through a podcast, and you won't have to get out of bed early if that's what you want. You just listen to it anytime. Just cue it up, right? Well, that's not what we want to do. Romans 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There are many people, even good, well-meaning Christians, who are not afraid or ashamed to serve, but are afraid and ashamed to actually share the gospel. We want to see our people grow in that. And if that's where you're at, you're afraid, then that's okay. It's okay to be there. It's not okay to stay there, though. And so we would want to encourage you. We would want to equip you. And we, we trust that God will work in you and through you if you'll just, just be teachable and humble and say, Lord, help me. When I first got saved, I never wanted to share the gospel. I was terrified. But then I was like, but no one shared it with me. And so as I did, I got more used to it. The same will happen to you, right? So the cross is enough. You, you got to hear this. 
The cross is enough to save. It's enough to heal whatever brokenness is in you that's emotionally broken. I'm not saying you don't need other pieces. Man, I'm all for holistic care. Go to your doctor, do your thing, right? Pray, meditate. But, but the cross is sufficient for God's people. It's enough to heal. It's enough to give real hope. It's enough to give peace. It's enough to bring real joy in a world that everywhere you look just makes you sad. It's enough to help you overcome encouragement because it's the place we see God's love most clearly displayed for sinners like you and me. And so it's also enough to see us grow in godliness, in godliness and lead to eternal life. Which is the second point. So if you look, you see it says churches grow in godliness through the preaching of the gospel. Paul did not simply settle for a people coming to faith. Neither should we. This is very important that we get this, right? Because I think we're starting to see the effects of, of COVID and the shutdown within the church, right? What I mean by that is for, for many of us, like it's been a long time since we might have been in a church gathering, right? So we might have been watching it online. And if, if that's all we could do in that moment, then that's all we could do. But that can't be, that's, that's not sufficient. It's not, I believe this message and I don't engage with God's people. Because we grow, and as we grow, we grow in a family. That's where, that's where growth happens, right? It's not just individual. It, it's much more than that. So the effects that we've seen is people will, they, they get saved through the proclamation of the gospel as engaging on an online service. So they raise their little avatar pixelated hands. They say, yes, I'll receive Jesus. But they have no people around them. And so let's just say it's real. They're saved. They're saved. But how are they going to grow in godliness? It just doesn't automatically happen. Salvation comes by faith and hearing and growing in that same goodness and grace happens, yes, by that same proclamation and grace, but it happens in the family of God. And so we, we have to be committed to making disciples, not simply converts. You know, Jesus, here's something Jesus never said. Go, therefore, and make converts of as many people as possible. I was just at a pastoral meeting, and I want to be kind, but it breaks my heart because we're talking about this, this whole meta-universe of, of church now. And, and I'll tell you, there's probably, the one guy said, well, listen, good things can happen there. Oh, that's true. Good things can happen there. God will work in and through those moments. But church is the assembly. It's the gathering. It's where we come together and worship God collectively. And if your only experience is through the meta universe, you're going to be very, very immature in your development as a Christian. You're just going to be, right? Jesus was not content alone with people simply coming to faith. He wanted them to magnify his name by the way they live, the way they act, the way they gather. As a people, you will know my disciples by how they love one another. If you don't gather with one another, nobody can see the witness, right? Paul was never content with people simply coming to faith. We must not be content with people simply coming to faith and then be left on their own. Any more than a mother would be simply content with just having a baby and now I'm done. Think about that. What mother would have a baby? And I know you'll be like, well, I know one. Okay, then something's wrong there. 
Something's wrong there. If a mom could just have a baby, now discard it and not care about the child. I know it happens, but that, that's because something's fractured there. That's not, that's not how it should be. Well, when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they are, like when it comes to the knowledge of the truth of the gospel, a new creation, right? They are born again. The Bible says they're a spiritual babe, right? And so now think about a physical baby for a moment, right? They're cute, right? Just picture their chubby little cheeks and oh, they're so lovely. Some aren't cute, by the way. Can we just admit that? Some of them have big, really strange deformed heads. Now, sometimes they grow out of that. Some, Kate's like, not all of them. I saw that, Kate. Yeah, and so, but, but, but you know, now they're all cute to mom and dad. They're like, ah, it's the most beautiful baby ever. It's like, oh, I don't know. But they arrive physically as a baby. And, but they need to be nurtured. They need to be taught. They need to be encouraged. They need to be corrected. Why? So they don't grow up to be adults who suck. I could say it more eloquently, but when you interact with a lot of adults who are just mean and they're nasty and they just don't know how to engage society properly, somewhere along the lines, probably the family has broken down. Now, here's the thing. I know many people where God's grace is sufficient, even in the brokenness, to just just rescue them out of that. But guess where that happens? Almost always within a church or another family structure. And so the same is true for preaching. So if, if it's true for a physical baby, then it has to be true for a spiritual baby, right? If you and I were to run into a, a 40-year-old man who still lives in his basement and is playing video games, we'd think, well, you're like, I have seven guys I can name like that. Okay, well, that's a problem. But now imagine they're in a diaper and there's nothing physically wrong with them. And they're sucking on a pacifier. And their mom still feeds them from the baby food. You would say, then he right. Come on, seriously, right? Could you just imagine? I can make the illustration more ridiculous. I won't do that. My wife's over there like this. <laughs> She's always a helpful gauge. I have the Holy Spirit and I have my wife to help me understand too far. Don't go any further. That's good, right? Because she knows exactly where I'm going. But here's the thing, we would say something's wrong, but we see that within a Christian and we think, no biggie. You're just making a spiritual mess everywhere. But you're eventually, and if you're like, that's me, we're glad you're here. Oh man, we're so glad you're here. That's why we came. That's why we came. We came specifically for those who are lost and those who have no church family to walk beside them. So if that's where you're at, welcome. But man, in five, six years, we hope that you've taken some steps. And we're going to encourage that. That's the church family. That's what we do. But that happens through preaching the gospel. It happens through teaching the gospel. It happens through the word in community, in the church gathering. So as we do, yes, these spiritual babies, let's say, they're going to make a mess. However, in time, hopefully they grow and they mature to be christ followers, those who adorn the gospel and those who make disciples who will adorn the gospel. This is how churches grow. This is how churches get healthy. This is how churches maintain health. This is also how churches multiply because we never want to multiply something if it isn't good in the first place. So we want healthy churches and Titus is going to help us to figure out how that happens.
Um, there's a diagram. I'm not going to talk much about it. I'm pointing to it as a point of reference. I don't normally ever, ever have diagrams or pictures. I think this is a helpful diagram, though, because what it shows is at the beginning of that line, you're born physically, where it says conversions when you're born again. And when you're born again, guess what? You don't know much. You really don't. You know, I'm a sinner. Yep, I'm a bad guy. Jesus is a savior. He's a good guy. I need some saving. That's about all you know. But if you stay there, you'll probably just be like the spiritual baby who in 5, 7, 10, 12, 15 years is still just making a mess for everybody to clean up. And you'll be telling everybody, I love Jesus. And everybody will be like, that's strange. Because it doesn't see any difference between you and everyone else. But how does a Christian grow? It's by understanding the depth of God's love displayed through the gospel. So as you look at this, it shows this here. God's holiness, man's sinfulness. doesn't mean that we grow to be worse sinners. It, it means we understand more the depths of our sin. Not only did I just, you know, smoke a little weed and punch some people here and there and do my thing. What happened was I am a control freak and I want what I want. And God's now revealing that even though I've got my behavior figured out my heart's still a wreck and he shows that every time I look at his goodness and if I didn't understand the cross in between I'd be crushed but every time I look at the cross I have hope why because that's not who I am anymore Christ died to save sinners and so the more I see his greatness and his holiness the more I understand I'm way worse than I ever thought I was and if I didn't understand the cross I'd be crushed and despairing but because I see the cross I have infinite hope because this God who does not lie has promised, I am a new creation, even though I don't really understand all the pieces right now. But that God who has began this good work is faithful to bring it to completion. He's at work in me. I'm going to keep on following him. And even when I veer off the path, I have a good shepherd who's just going to come alongside me and say, nope, this way to life, this way to green pasture, this way to living water. Oh, we have a good God we want to see real transformation. We pray for it. It doesn't happen automatically. It takes work. The goal or the aim is to see people come faith in Christ and then see them grow in godliness. That's what Paul is saying to Titus right here, right now. And he's saying it's going to take work. By the way, godliness... Oh, you have to unpack that word just a little bit because in our culture, like, what do you think of? You think of like Ned Flanders. I'm not Ned Flanders, right? Um, or whatever version would work, but like yippity do die day. You know, you, you, have, you have Christian swear words like dingfod, right? And so even though inside, or you're like, man, Mother Teresa, right? Like you're actually not saying, like, what about her? You got something to say? No, you're, you're swearing, but you're putting some like spirit sprinkles on it and you think it's okay. Godliness is not like that. Godliness in the Bible is, is really exemplified love. It's compassion that leads to action that leads to love. I love God. I want to be like God. He is God. Godliness is, is me growing in grace. It's growing in mercy. It's growing in love. It's not, I don't listen to Pearl Jam. Listen to Pearl Jam if your conscience allows. If it doesn't, well, I'm sorry because they're the greatest band of our time. <laughs> right? In, this matters because I don't want us thinking that godliness just means like, well, I just don't hang out with sinners. Jesus hung out with sinners and you won't meet a man who's more godly because he's God in the flesh. How many times did they say, 
Jesus, uh, he's a glutton. He's a drunkard. Why? Because he hangs out with sinners. The way to stay away from sin is not by, I'm avoiding sinners. It's, it's by sticking close to Christ. It's by sticking close to Christ. Because the closer you draw near to Christ, then you can be around sinners all day and they're not going to infect you. But what you're going to do is, I want to effectually love you with words and with action. I want to be a gospel messenger in your life. Why? Because Christ loves you. And I want you to know that love. How do you know that love? The gospel. The gospel. You preach the gospel. We're not looking for behavioral modification here. We're not. So if you're a wreck, you're a wreck. That's what you come in as. That won't be what you leave as if you'll pursue the Lord. You just won't. And it doesn't happen overnight. We're not talking microwavable discipleship. There are no hot pocket Christians here. Right? Like, I got zapped. Woo! I feel better now. You will. Monday's coming. Right? You know what I mean? Like, this ain't a pep rally. And, and if this is like why you came, gosh, there's so many better things you could do with your life. Like, almost all of them. Right? But man, if you, if you want to see the Lord work in your life, say, Lord, I, I know I'm not where I need to be. Help. Oh, he loves to answer that prayer. And he answers it through proclamation and people. His people. His people. So we're going to be talking for the next eight weeks what it means to be a people who's very committed to planting, building, laboring towards healthy churches. Not perfect churches. Which leads us to our, our third point. Churches that are healthy, listen, this is so important you get this. Third point, churches that are healthy receive, they receive it. They understand it. What is it? We'll get to it. They preach it and they extend it. And what is it? It's grace. It's grace. Oh, it's grace. And to who? Everyone. Do you see it? Like, we need to be a people who just... We go and we receive from the fountain of grace daily. We remind ourselves of the gospel every day. It is not just the doorway into Christianity. I was lost. I believed the gospel. Now I'm saved. Yay, me. That's not what it means. Not at all. It is that, but it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. We receive grace daily. We never move on from needing the unmerited grace and mercy of our God. I wake up every day, hopefully, and there's days I probably don't, but I remind myself, it's, I'm not some good guy. Christ died to save a sinner. That's who I was. That's not who I am. And I have not moved on from now. I don't need grace. I've graduated. Oh, I'm so awesome. If everybody else could be like me. No, I'm a needy, needy man who needs to be reminded his unmerited love, forgiveness, and grace. It's for me today. I need it today. I need it tomorrow. I need it for all of eternity. So I receive that. I receive that gospel and remind myself. I understand it. I work hard to understand it because it's way more multifaceted than you understand. That's the whole point of that, that diagram. As you walk with Jesus, what you start to understand is not new things. It's just you start to understand it in a new way. And it's much deeper and more profound than you ever could have understood. So you receive that gospel. You seek to understand that gospel. As you do, you start to spill it out everywhere you go. Because when your heart's filled with the affection of God's love for you as a born-again man or woman, it's like if I'm carrying around uh, a cup of Coke, 
right? And you, you bump into me, and I spill it on you right now, okay? What, what gets on you? Coke. Coke. It's not a trick question. It's not battery acid, right? So if I'm, if I'm full of good news and I'm full of the Spirit, and you bump into me, what ought to happen? What ought to spill out? Love, grace, mercy, peace, kindness, right? All those different things. Is that your reality all the time? No, mine either, right? So like there's times where people, I bump into them and they might not get the Coke that I was hoping they might get. So then I have to go back around and say, hey, sorry about that battery acid. I love Jesus. I shouldn't have done that. Would you forgive me? This is why I don't like Christians. You're hypocrites. We are. And we have room for a handful more on empty seats, right? So come, but what we do is we don't make excuses. We say, yeah, I, I, I blew it. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And then you tell them. Some of the most powerful stuff you could ever do is just own your stuff and let them know that we have a God who forgives. And then ask for their forgiveness and introduce them to the God who forgives. But you won't do that if you don't receive grace. If you don't understand grace, if you don't extend it. People who understand grace extend grace. So let's be a people who are saturated with that kind of heart and mind, right? And God make us that people. So here's the deal. There's many beautiful metaphors that describe the relationship between God and his people, right? Here's a couple. Temple, bride, but you know it's another one? Family. And you see it right in the last verse. To Titus, my true child in a common faith. Do you see the love? Do you hear the love? But then he says grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. It, it's, it's family. Paul's a Jew. Titus is a Greek. And he's saying we're family. So those who are in Christ, listen, if you have people in your biological family who don't love Jesus, believe it or not, the people that, you're, that are in Christ, you have a deeper bond with. Now, you might not believe that or see that, but you're going to spend eternity with those folks because those who are in Christ are spiritual family. Now, it doesn't mean you don't love your family who might be lost. I, I was one of the first people to come to faith in Christ in my family. But I'll tell you what, I've never experienced the kind of hurt and love that I have with God's people, and I wouldn't trade it for anything in my life. I wouldn't trade it for anything in my life. A healthy church is not a church that has arrived. We've got to get this. A healthy church is not a church that has arrived. I've been to those places. <laughs> There's some of the... Well, anyway. Um, God's plan to make His grace known in the world is not through a bunch of people who think they're perfect. It's not that at all. Actually, it, because what ends up happening there are religious bubbles right? Religious cliques, people who don't understand grace and therefore they don't extend grace. They are like the Pharisees of Jesus's time. They're always looking down you and they're always saying, man, if you would just get your stuff together. That's not the kind of people we want to be. We want to be a people who are welcoming to the people who are lost. That's the whole point. I was a train wreck when I came to faith. I was a train wreck and yet I met a people who welcomed me right where I was at, but they said, we love you enough, we're not going to leave you there. We're going to keep working with you. We're going to keep putting up with you, and eventually we're going to correct you sometimes, but the reason is because we want to see you grow. 
And we want to be that kind of people. In the mess of the church, what, what, what can happen is Jesus' grace can even shine all the more brighter. Because when you're met with not like a stiff arm, but with, it's, I forgive you. I love you. Let's keep going. What you realize is you're different. You're a different people than anything I've ever encountered in my entire life. Why are you different? It's not because we're better. It's because we have a God who welcomed us at the moment of how we were, and he never left us there. He brought about salvation. He brought about transformation. We know him. It's in the mess that we will find beautiful displays of forgiveness, compassion, humility, reconciliation, which is all grace, by the way. And when the world sees a people love one another like that, they will say, who are you? Who are you? And we want to say we're the people of God, and you can tell them the good news. Grace inspires godliness. Grace inspires godliness. And salvation inspires service. We've we, we got to get this. We, we've got to get this. The only way to get it is to continually come to the gospel, continually receive the gospel, continue to preach the gospel to your heart, to your mind, to sing it, to pray it. Why? Because we're committed to making the gospel of God's grace central to everything we do at this church. And when we blow it, hopefully the Lord will give us grace to ask for your forgiveness. But what we're asking is, do you want to be a people who want to grow in God's grace? That's what we're asking. And if you do, and if we do together, that'll be a healthy church. And when that church starts to grow in depth and width, more and more people will come to faith in Christ through the proclamation of the gospel. Paul is going to give Titus, let's call it the blueprints to do that. So over the next seven or eight weeks, that's what we're going to look at. You're going to see, even though it's a pastoral letter, what you're going to find out is that there's so much for you and I to learn here, to grow in and to commit to as a people of For the City Church here in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, to magnify the name of Jesus, to make disciples who will make disciples who do the same thing. And as that happens, churches will be planted. We pray. We pray. And we labor towards, okay? So I hope you're excited about the book of Titus. And um, will you join me in prayer? And uh, let's continue to worship the Lord. Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, we thank you for the letter of Titus. We thank you that we have and enjoy grace. You're a God of grace. You're a God of all grace. And it is grace that you, that you save a sinful people through the message. But it's not just the message. It's the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus, thank you for living the perfect life that we could never live. Jesus, thank you for willingly going to the cross and receiving the wrath, the just penalty for our sins and for giving us life through you to the Father, through repentance and faith, by trusting in your life, your death, and your resurrection. Lord, make us a people who love you, who adore you, and who adorn the gospel in the city of Greensburg and to the ends of the earth. We ask that you would do this by the power of your spirit. We trust that you will because you're a God who never lies. We thank you. We love you. We praise you. In Christ's name, amen.